0: 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 through chapter 7, verse 1. Let us pray and read the word of the Lord. Father, help us to have ears to hear and eyes to see. Open wide our hearts that we may understand. And Father, may we understand the challenge that is set before us. Father, the task that is set before us. And yet, Father, greater is he who is in us than he who is in this world. Lord, let us rest in that assurance. Let us stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Let us understand the love of Christ that surpasses understanding and knowledge. And, Father, may we rejoice as you do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could ever think or imagine to the glory of you who redeemed us in eternity past. Thank you, Father, for the amazing things you've done. Thank you, Father, for this time and the amazing things you will do. To your glory and praise. Amen. Chapter 6, verse 14 to 7 1. Do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light and darkness? Or what harmony is Christ with Baal? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch that is unclean. And I will welcome you. I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, Let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We started this last week, and I told you that I want this text because this is the text that most people know comes out of 2 Corinthians. Is do not be bound together with unbelievers. Um, and, And I watch a corruption of this text. And so what I'm going to do with this, and I'm going to take my time through these verses because I, I'm going to take it the way the Apostle Paul did the letter to the Romans. And what he does in the letter to the Romans is that he takes every argument from 360 degrees and defends it biblically and, and destroys the arguments, basically. Um, and and what I want to happen with this is the very same thing because um, I... I would be hard-pressed to find another verse that has been mistreated uh, than do not be bound together with unbelievers. Uh, Some of your translations may say unequally yoked. And uh, most people use that if their daughter's preparing to marry. Okay? And I'm positive as I read through this, this has got nothing to do with marriage (laughs) and a few other odds and ends. But I laid a foundation last week that I want to kind of bring back to what we're dealing with. The Apostle Paul lays out here just as straightforward and straight to the point as he can. There's two worlds. There's only two. Okay. There's one that is righteousness, light, Christ, believers, the temple of God, the temple of the living God. The other one is unbelievers, lawlessness, darkness, Satan or Belial, unbelievers and idols. That's it, people. I know that you want to try to think, well, there's other. No, there's not. There's only two. There's only two. Okay. And what happens, this text is actually probably the single um, greatest challenge to a Christian. All right and as it over the next few weeks and months we go through this you'll see what I'm trying to get at but it, it it is what defines our ministry okay the second corinthians that letter is ministry if you're saved you are now a minister you are an ambassador you are a spokesman for the king all right and part of what you do as a minister is that there is a time to separate okay the key is what and who and where and why okay the problem with the corinthians why this is here is the same problem that exists in the church in the united states right now okay now i've got the privilege of traveling out of the country and and i have watched other churches And they don't have that problem. Okay, and here's the reason. The Corinthians as the Americans today are trying to move back and forth in and out of these two worlds, these two spheres, these two realms, these two societies. And you can't do it. They're incompatible. You can't do it. You just can't do it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, the Apostle Paul speaking so highly of this church says, You have turned to God from idols. Okay? The Corinthians had turned to God from idols. And let me bring you back up to speed on Corinth. They had the Isthmian Games. Okay, the Isthmian Games were to compete with what you know as the Olympic Games, which was taking place in Athens. But they were more free. Because Corinth was set up on freed Roman slaves. And they were given a plot of, of, of land. They could start their business in their houses there. But to say the Corinthians were debased would be one of the greatest understatements that I could ever say. Okay? Um, Socrates loved Corinth. Okay? Because he says, you go to Corinth and there are bare chested women. Spearing pigs and climbing poles, unquote. They had a very strong, uh, shall we call it, women's lib movement. But if you were promiscuous, okay, they used to call it to Corinthianize. They believed that there was close to 2,000 to 3,000 priestesses in Corinth, the city of. Okay, do you know what a priestess in Corinth was? A spiritual hooker. I I don't have any way to say it. You could spend money, sleep with this priestess, and you'd have a spiritual adventure. And at night, they would just come out into the streets so that everybody could just have a blast. That was the city God put a church in. And what was happening is that the Corinthians were trying to get the two together. Um, You can't. Listen the influences of the pagan culture want to draw you back. Please hear me on that. When you come to salvation, and I don't care, I I was saved late. Most people get saved at eight. That's sort of a magical number. Uh, I, I, I moved past eight, several times past eight. And when I came to salvation, I had some miles behind me. And God had to remove me from that, and I mean literally, poof—you're not going to be around that. And after a time, He strengthened me, and and now I can move. And, and I want to, because I want to show you this, because you got to be real careful about this. And the problem is, is that the old line was still there. Now, listen: when you think of paganism, most people immediately shift to Stonehenge. The winter solstice, the summer solstice, and we'll run around and eat berries, okay, or whatever it is they do. I've never really gotten into paganism. That is a line of it, but the truth of the matter is, it's anything I put and I worship above God, okay? You can call it paganism, hedonism. You can call it, you know, I know people who will chase pleasure more than God. You know, I've, I've seen it. You name it, we'll worship it. And I mean, and some of you go, what? Um, You know, I grew up a baseball fanatic. I love baseball. I I grew up just north of Cincinnati. And when I first got my season tickets, that's when the big red machine was doing their thing. And we won. Um, So, you know, I grew up with that. But you could see the fanaticism that is in, you know, it's a game. It's a game. Okay. But uh, it's stuff like that, that, that when I think about it, there's no possibility of mixing the things of God with the things of the world. I have no fellowship with it. I have no partnering with that old kingdom. And yet, you and I allow at times the influence of our culture as the Corinthians allow the influence of their culture. And what happens is, it's so easy to get sucked back into that old idolatry. That old system, the old habits, the old things that used to make us happy. And when that happens to a Christian, you know what happens next instantaneously? The false slide right in. Because once you step back into the old ways, the first thing that happens is the spirit of the living God starts messing with your conscience. And when he messes with your conscience, you want to try to validate it. You want to try to validate it. And so you will listen to the teachers. I was coming out of L.A. one time, and I was listening to the guy who has the Crystal Palace, whatever it is. And he was on a talk radio show. And somebody had called in and said that, you know, they were wanting to get a divorce from their, I don't even remember if it was a woman or a man. And he says, well, that's fine. Because it's obvious that you married the wrong one, so God will allow you to divorce him, and so you can go find the right one. And I was like, wow, that's kind of (laughs) cool. Just, (laughs) Dude, I just want an expiration date on my marriage license, and then we'll just keep moving it. Okay? But all you're doing is allowing that person in that old society, that old realm, let me validate my conscience is guilty. Today you hear it stated this way. Can't we all get along? Can't we all be gracious? You know, your faith might be that, and your faith might be that. It'd be fine. It'd be fine. Okay? Because you're just serving in the best that you know. You're serving in the best that you know. And you know what? God really put us here so that we would be happy. that's what you hear. You need to be more tolerant. Really? Do you realize that they crucified your king? That sounds pretty tolerant, doesn't it? Can't we just get along? No, you killed my king. You murdered my king. I've been reading uh, John Knox... And some of the horrific things that he had to go through from the Scots and the French and the Germans. And uh, they just all wanted him dead. And, uh, And I keep thinking, well, that don't sound quite right. Not only do they want him dead, when they buried him, they hid his grave. And so it's marked now by a parking spot. Parking spot 36 outside of a pub. That used to be where he would teach seminary students. It's now a pub. But they don't want him acknowledged. But all he did was preach the word. The Greeks, at the writing of this letter, they wanted wisdom. The Jews wanted a sign. Both together equals false. It's satanic and it has great influence. See, and some in this church in Corinth were turning against the Paul and they were turning to the. Listen, if you turn against the apostle Paul, there's only one way you can go. You go to the false. And. But we're more enlightened. I can mix this up and it'll be the new stuff. I'm going to try to link the teachings of the apostle Paul. Paul. And I'll mix them with the false Judaism. I'll mix them with the philosophy and the wisdoms of the Greeks. And I'll throw in a side order of paganism and it'll be a greater truth, a happier truth, a tolerant religion. Paul is saying he can't do that. Not only can't you do that, it is horrifically dangerous. It is destructive. I have watched people... In the name of the Lord, do some of the most horrific things that I've ever seen in my life. And I grew up on the crazy side of the tracks. Paul is dealing straight up with this problem. He has a long list of problems that he's been dealing with the Corinthians. And you, you guys who have been here through both of these letters, you know there were four letters that were written. And he's dealing with these crazy people. And they're trying to mix this other world in with the things of God and it's a mess and once you start compromising once you start thinking you can move back and forth and back and forth and back and forth then the false can come right in alongside because you want your conscience to feel better because it's kind of getting a little out of hand here well but this teacher here he's a godly man he's a godly woman I know I know what this is they said it's okay we can all get along can't we It's funny because most Christians, I've heard Christians, I'm not going to say most, I've heard a lot of Christians that say, well, Allah, Jehovah, and God are all the same. That's funny. The Muslims don't think so. Nor do the Jews. It's just us crazy tolerant Christians. Can't we get along? But you find this in the people who are moving back and forth. Okay? You can't put Christ with false deities. Okay, I was reading <laughs> when, through the Book of Judges when they took the the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant. They captured it. Dun, dun, dun! We have the magic box of the Jews. Okay, so they they take it down to Ashland <laughs> and they put it in the temple of Dagon. <laughs> And the next morning they get up and the statue of Dagon falls over is laying over on the side. <laughs> and they're like, well, what's the heck? So they stick it back up. Next morning they get up. This temple of Dagon, the statue, boom, laying over on the side. Third time, it's shattered. There's nothing to put back up. And every Philistine in the city gets boils on it. And so they hook it on a cart to a cow and they send it back up the Valley of Dan because I don't want your stupid box. That's great. I love that. And yet what do we try to do now? We try to take a false deity and mix it with Christ. And you know what? The tragedy is sometimes it's just it's just pure ignorance. The people unknowingly are doing it. Paul makes a direct statement in verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That's really straightforward if you think about it. And, you know, I watch people try to deal with it. It's a command. It's a mandate. It's a standard. It's a principle. And it explains the rest of the text. It's the most known text of 2 Corinthians. Paul is calling Christians to be separate from unbelievers. And yet, I, as I've already said, this is probably our greatest challenge as a Christian. As a minister. As a servant of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. As a table waiter. This is my hardest problem. Don't be bound together. Live a separate life. It's funny. There's a lot of controversy over the nativity scenes. In, in the United States. And it's hilarious. Because there's a part of me. Who wants to just jump up and down. And say. Fine. Don't celebrate it. <laughs> Be like a Scrooge. You don't like the birth of my Savior. Don't celebrate Christmas. Just act like it's any other day. I mean you ought to go get in a fist fight. On Friday. But you don't want a nativity scene. Excuse me? But that is the challenge that we have because we are separate. Do not be bound together. Live your life separate. Now listen, I want you to look around at your culture right now. Your culture right now. And they are hammering away at us. Okay? And it's all paganism. And look at what they say Christmas is. Really? It's when our economy turns around. It's our greatest challenge to be separate because it will be your greatest source of joy and it will also be your greatest source of usefulness. When we obey this command, we will be pure and we will stay out of the polluted because the pure and the polluted have absolutely nothing in common. The people of God cannot form an intimate relationship with those who don't belong to God. It's that simple. All relations like that are superficial. You can't force it. You're going to be friends, but there's no intimacy there. There's no deep relationship there. You serve two different masters. Can't have any meaning to it. The relationship... You you can't have a meaningful relationship with an enemy of the gospel. Think about that. Do you understand that? I'm not talking about people who just want to get along. They hate Christ. Do you understand that? How can I love Christ? They hate Christ. And we have anything in common. I mean, we can go bowling together. Maybe we'll go to a ball game together. But you ain't going to really have a deep, meaningful relationship. This is one of the tragedies that I see in marriage. When a believer and an unbeliever are together. How does that work? God designed this institution. He wants to bless this institution. And one of them in the institution hates him. Well, that ought to go over well shouldn't be any friction in that relationship. You see what I'm trying to get at? And yet, I see people who will blow that. Well, I don't care. All over. I have people right now who come to me. You guys know I work on motorcycles. And they come to me, wild and crazy type things. Right? They come, they say, well, we hear you're a pastor. And I said, yeah. And he says, you know, I'm thinking about settling down. You got any single women in your church? Yeah, but they're all 92 years old. <laughs> really? Well, yeah, I've been living crazy as a loon. I think I'm going to settle down. I'd like to get me a nice pure woman. Brilliant. Brilliant. Love that one. You're like, yeah. But that's what we think. Well, let's, yeah. Let me endorse that. Oh, I got a better place. The Crystal Palace in California. He'll take you. Whatever it's called. Listen, it's a different world. It is hostile and its leaders are antagonistic to the things of Christ. In this text here, the Hebrew ideology that you see here, bound together or unequally yoked, means that you don't, like I shared with you last week, Deuteronomy 22.10. You don't plow a field with an ox and a donkey. Okay. Um, I mean, just think about their dispositions. Okay. My uh, my uncle raised horses. And I mean, uh, them uppity, uppity thoroughbred things. And, and And he, I mean, now listen, he made a living. This wasn't a tax deduction. He made a living at this. And if he had a horse that... Was trying to perfect stupid. Okay. You know how he fixed it. He had a donkey and he tied to its tail. And within a day. You had a mild mannered horse. Okay. Because you tie it to its tail. Well for one thing. It's pulling. You can't get a good kick at the mule. And it can bite. And so you got this thing hanging on your rear end that's saying, calm down. I said, calm down. And you think you can? And I mean, I said, watch it. And it's comical to watch. But after about four hours, you're like, a poor horse. <laughs> well, the same thing is what he's trying to say here. You can't have the disposition of a donkey and an ox and expect to go anywhere straight. To the Greeks, when it says do not be bound together, the original word here has to do with um, philosophers who don't agree. Okay? Um, How can they be involved in a common enterprise? Whether it is yoke together or teaching together. Where will that harmony come from? Where will the unity come from? And what he's saying is that it is impossible to have that unity, to have the right disposition and the harmony between a believer and an unbeliever. Don't allow yourself to be bound in a yoke with an unbeliever. Okay, now then, that's the two worlds. That statement right there opens up all kinds of things, has all kinds of implications, and i 'm going to start beating the far out of all the implications today. One is the monastic lifestyle, monks, okay Isolate yourself. Uh, People want to go put a wool bag on and sit around and contemplate their navel in a cave someplace and they try to use this text to do it. Um, You know, know, in our society today, I watch it show up this way. I will only do business with believers. Okay? Um, I'm only going to allow my kids to go to Christian schools. Okay. I know some people right now, and if you're one of them, don't raise your hand. I know people right now who won't even get into mutual funds because there's sinners involved in that. I've seen institutions start up out of the South for some reason that are only Christian bankers. I was watching a survey the other day that they did a thing. You know, we got new $100 bills. Again, you know, they tested every hundred dollar bill and they all have cocaine residue on them. Every stinking one hundred dollar bill. You Christians put them down. Mine says, and God, I trust. (laughs) But you see, but you just sit there and you go, where do I put this limit at? I mean, I don't go to the bank because they're not Christians. Where do I draw the line to be not bound with unbelievers? Dating? How, what do you do with team sports? I remember when we used to have a softball team. We played in the Lost People's League. <laughs> Why, that doesn't make sense to me. I and mean, then you say, well, we've got to go to the crew. We've got to start a Christian softball league. But you said, I'm trying to get at... It. <laughs> All of a sudden, now I gotta. If I'm gonna, I'm gonna go play handball. Are you a believer? You're not. Well, I can't play with you. I'll just smack the ball around by myself. Where do we draw the line? What are you going to do with your job? What about common business? How do I go out of the world? What, what, start, what, we should start like a, a Christian suburb? Put a little fence around it? Didn't that get Jim Baker in trouble? Right? Didn't get that guy down in Texas? Never mind, we won't go there. Let me ask you a question. What is the Great Commission? Go and make disciples of who? Believers. All peoples. Paul's already dealt with this. Let me share with you something. First Corinthians chapter nine, verse 19 and 20. For I am free from all men. I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. Okay. Hmm. Interesting sense. Paul understood that because of Jesus Christ, he was free in one sense, but He makes a conscious decision to be a slave to all to reach more. Okay. And then he gets into it to the Jews. I became as a Jew so that I might win the Jews to those who are under the law as under the law, though not myself being under the law so that I might win those who are under the law. Verse 21 to those who are without the law as without the law, though, as the. Not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ so that I might win those who are without the law. He basically covers everybody right there. i got Gentiles who do not know the word of God. I've got the Jews who know the word of God. I will act religious as around the Jews because I want them to know that I know the word of God. I will talk to the pagan Gentiles over here, the Greeks, whatever you want to call them. I'll talk to them and I'll walk in their world. Paul says, I am not isolating myself from the world. I'm going to dive headlong right in the middle of it. So that I might win some. Why? I'm doing all things for the gospel. So you you draw to the people to win the people. Paul didn't leave the world. He got right in the middle of the world. Why? You get right in the middle of the world and you point to Christ. Christ. You get right in the middle of the world and you lead them to the knowledge of Christ. That's not isolation. That's not isolation. That's not monastic. Listen, we deal with the unsaved all the time. All the time. But there are limits. Go over to chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians. Verse 9. Okay, now, you're going to start seeing how this thing all comes together. Don't get ahead of me. I wrote you in my letter. Okay, this would be the letter before 1 Corinthians. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. Oh, that means uh, I can be in the world as long as they're not immoral. Well, that narrowed it down. (laughs) That ain't what it says. Not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with immoral people of this world or with the covetous and the swindlers or the idolaters, or then you would have to go out of the world. Right? Right? But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person. Got that? Or covetous, or an idolater, or a reveler, a drunkard, or a swindler, not even eat with such a one. So when you find a so-called brother that looks like the world, what? Don't even eat with them. Does that make sense? Let me show you. For what are we what have I do to judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. That's really straightforward if you think about it. You've heard the term, right? Judge not lest you be judged. Okay, I love it when they throw that at me. Makes my day. I said, have you not read? 1 Corinthians 5? You're covetous. I'm not even supposed to eat with you. I am to judge the household of God. By the standard of God's word. I don't judge the world. Why? The world is under God's judgment now. You give them God. Let me give you the gospel. And if you reject it, wait till you see my boss. But when it comes to the household of God, if they look like the world, you admonish them. You know, you kind of look like the world. If they refuse to change... Set them outside. Let Satan deal with their flesh. Well that sounds mean. No, sounds very good. Why? Don't play with God. We don't judge those who are outside. The outside people are already under God's judgment. Don't be unequally yoked. Do not be cut off from unbelievers. Listen, the religious experts of Jesus' time accused Jesus of being a friend to who? Sinners. He hangs around with winos and prostitutes. Well, I did not come to save the righteous. I have come to save the unrighteous. Well, if it's not monastic... Then it must mean that if I'm married to an unbeliever, I need to get a divorce. You know, get rid of that darkness that is in my light. and to get that, rid of that idolater who is in my temple of God. Well, all right, try First Corinthians 7 verse 12. and following. But to the rest, I say, not the Lord. Okay, what he's saying here is that the Lord didn't quote this, but this is still truth, all right? So here's what he says. That if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, what does it say? Must not divorce her. And a woman has an unbelieving husband, and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified. He is set apart through his wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified through the believing husband. For otherwise, your children are unclean, and now they are holy. Yet, if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother and the sister is not under bondage in such cases. Okay? Now then, it's real straightforward and I want you to think about this because you have two people in an intimate relationship that are living in completely opposite worlds. Okay? And it can never have the fullness of what God made it to be. It's impossible. But if they're willing to stay, let them stay. I'll give you a footnote on this. It is not the believer's responsibility to make the non-believer so miserable that the non-believer leaves. I have bore witness to that. I warned them of that. And they did it anyway. And you know what? Nothing has gone right in their lives since then. All right? In, in any of it. Okay. But I I try to get you guys to understand that because if the non-believer's willing to stay, you're still going to have two people in two separate realms serving two different masters. And you know what? There's going to be times that in them two masters, there will be a conflict. You've got to understand something. The other world's master is antagonistic to ours. Okay? So there's no dumping of the unbelieving spouse. All right? But there are some limits. There's still some limits. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Concerning things sacrificed to idols. Okay? That we all have knowledge, and knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes he knows anything, he is not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Okay? Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols. Um, let me explain to you really quick how this works. In all of the temples that were in Corinth, people would bring animals to appease gods. What they would do, whether it was a bull or whatever they brought in, um, they would cut it into thirds, okay? One third would be set on the altar and be burned to make the deity happy, okay? The second third, the priest and priestesses lived on, okay? The last third, they had a meat plant in the back, and that's where you go get rancher select. Okay, they're not paying anything for this meat. So it was always cheaper. All right. And so what you were getting was the best cuts of meat at a very cut rate price. But it was coming out of what? The temple of Dionysus or the temple of Bacchus or whatever. And so you would eat the meat, but it was the rancher select. Okay. Okay. Therefore, considering eating the things sacrificed to idols, we know there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and there is no God but one. Okay, So Paul says, there's the knowledge. It's right there. You offer that up to an idol, all that is is a goofy little statue. That's all it is. And it has no effect on that meat. For even if there were so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as needed, there are many gods and many lords. Okay? That's basically what they're doing. Yet for us, there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things, and we exist for Him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom all things and we exist through Him. Okay? However, here's your limit. Not all men have this knowledge, but some, being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Okay? They don't understand it. Listen, you have to understand something about the temples. There's gross immorality taking place. I was reading some stuff on the temple of Bacchus. Uh, (laughs) I don't know who thought this up, but evidently. But Bacchus was the god of wine grapes okay and the temple was set up with a big old statue of Bacchus standing there and in the middle of it was a great big old huge pit and what you did is that you would go in and you would pay the priestess to have sexual gratification as you drank as much wine as you could and if you drank too much wine and you got sick you go to the pit and you do your thing and then you come back to your priestesses. and then once you got done throwing up all that wine you drank in then you go out and you would have your hamburger Okay, So you have all this immorality that is wrapped up around that piece of meat. Well, I guess the best would be is that if you led, let's say you have an Orthodox Jew that you lead to Christ. They come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So you ask him to come over to the house on a Saturday to have pork chops. Right. Okay. What would you just do to him? You heard him. He can't understand that. I remember hanging out with a guy who's Dutch reform. Dutch reform. Remember the Sabbath. Okay. Nice guy. And I remember taking him down to the chop house in Chattanooga. And we had, they got pork chops about that thick and about like that. And I was like, I don't know where you get a pig that big. And he can't eat. I mean, they're wheeling out all of this. And it's just juicy. And 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 I'm sitting like that. I'm like, Are you going? I can't eat. It's the Sabbath. What are you stupid? Okay. And you know, uh, I was with Wayne the barbarian when we did that. And you know, he can't argue with me because Wayne's about 6'10", 300. Wayne said I could eat. The guy sat there and looked at it. Drank water. And I'm sitting there going, you know, and then, you know, I started feeling guilty, but it was a fleeting thought. I didn't linger there. I was like, if you don't want to eat, and we're at this chop house in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and they got a piece of meat here that I don't know that I've ever seen a pig that big. But they found one, and I got it, its pork chop, and I'm eating it. Okay? And you know what? He did come out of that, finally. <laughs> he said, You know, we shouldn't keep the Sabbath. I was like, Enter into his rest, and every day's easy. If someone sees you eating this meat sacrificed to idol and they don't have that knowledge, okay, they, they ain't there. He's saying if a believer sees you. Same thing you see in Romans 14 and 15. The idol is nothing. You're just eating. But what happens is they get sucked back into the immorality. Okay? They get sucked back into it. I'll give you an example of it. You know, I, I remember people telling me that rock and roll was of the devil. Dude, there's so much stuff of the devil. It's crazy. I stayed away from it. It scared me. Okay? I grew up in concerts. I mean, I lived my life from concert to concert to concert. And what I found was is that there were certain songs that I would hear, and it would take my brain back to somewhere, and something that I was doing that was not God-glorifying. So I watched out for it. So now I only listen to rock and roll that I never saw in concert. No, just kidding. <laughs> but 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 I've been enough years now in the scriptures, it doesn't bother me no more. You know, I can listen to rock and roll and I, so what? Okay. Uh, some of the country and western stuff scares me more than some of the rock and roll stuff. You got drunk and left my dog and shot my cow and my wife left me or something. Uh, but but I I you just hear some of this stuff and I don't know how to deal with it because you know what? There are some people who come out of that lifestyle, he can't do nothing with it. Okay? I'm not gonna sit down and have a beer with an alcoholic. I can have a beer. I well I can. I'm diabetic and it just messes with me. But there's nothing wrong with it. Don't let it master you. Okay? But if you got a a Christian who's come out of hard drinking Yeah, let's go have a beer. Perfect. Okay. That's silly. That's silly. The stronger believer is trying to win the idolatrous to Christ. The weak believer will stumble. If you read it, verse 10. If someone sees you and you who has knowledge dining in an idol's temple... With his, will not his conscience, if it is weak, be strengthened to eat things offered to idols? And then he'll be sucked right back into that thing. Verse 13, therefore, if the food causes my brother to stumble, I'll never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble See, that is a limit for reaching the world. If you cruise on over to chapter 10, we can see it again because this is really good, really clear here. Chapter 10, verse 27. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. Now, when the unbeliever says, hey, you want to come over and have a piece of steak? Okay, and he hangs out at the temple, you know where he got the steak. Now, I know as a Christian... That the temple idol is nothing. I don't have to worry about it. Okay. I'm going to go have the steak. Sounds like a good plan. And it's a keynote here. Don't invite yourself. They ask you to come and eat. You know, I see people say, hey, can I come over and have one of your sacrificial idol meats? You're invited. Okay. Don't ask questions for conscience sake. Okay, we don't want your conscience bugging you. All right, let me look at verse 28. But if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of one who informed you and for conscience sake. The one who informed you would imply that you got another believer who is there who has come out of this idol and says, I know that this guy serves only temple meats. And we don't want to offend the weaker believer. Okay? Again, meat offered to idols is coming out of some gross immorality. There's not a temple that I have studied in the Greek peninsula that didn't have that. Okay? And you don't want people to ignore their conscience. If somebody's conscience is bothering them, embrace it. Encourage it. Conscience is a good thing. We don't want them to violate their conscience. We don't want to offend the believer. I mean, not your own conscience, verse 29, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered for that which I give thanks? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. If I've got a weaker brother there and their conscience is bothering me, I'll stop. Okay, Well, wait a minute, I'll offend the unbeliever who invited me. Let me ask you a question. Which one's more important? The unbeliever? Or the believer? Let me give you a thought. Matthew 18. Jesus says, if he calls one of these to stumble, it would be better that you have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. So which one do you think is more important to Jesus. And whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, I'm going to do for the glory of God. I have a greater obligation to the brother in Christ, to the sister in Christ, to the family of God. Don't offend the believer. You can offend the unbeliever. You know what else happens that's really funny about this? The unbeliever is going to say his love as a Christian is greater than his love for me. They truly love each other to the point that he wouldn't eat my steak. God is more concerned of his own. That's why he calls them his beloved sheep. Reach those who are not his based on godliness and character of those who who are his? I hear people who are doing things like uh, fantasy football, uh, and they're, they're, it's growing our men's group. What's well, gambling? I mean, that's all it is, and that's showing godly character, right? Somewhere. Well, but we're interacting. There's all kinds of things I can do to. Let's take up water skin for Jesus. Uh, do you see what I mean? Uh, that's silly. Show godly character. Show godliness. See, in the context of the limits, we understand that there are two worlds. There's no caves that we're hiding in. There's no dumping of unsaved spouses. Okay. There's no dumping of unsaved friends. There's no moving neighborhoods. There's no leaving my job because everybody there is lost. We can't overindulge ourselves In the other world to the damage of our testimony within the body of Christ. The body of Christ is the single most important factor. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Absolutely. Paul stuck his right in the middle. He go to the festivals. I mean, he went, go read going to the Ericopolis in Athens. Dude, you can't get no more eyeball deep in paganism than that place. And he walked right in the middle of it. I know who the unknown God is. Walk right in the middle of it. You know, I watch guys go up to Sturgis for Jesus' sake. Well, I've been to Sturgis, saved and lost. The only guys that are interested in Jesus at Sturgis are the ones who missed the corner coming down out of the canyon. Those are the only ones. Okay, you can get them drunk and stoned and throw with their butts in jail and they still don't care about Jesus. But the guy who's getting ready to get loaded into the back of an ambulance because him and the motorcycle weren't sober. He wants to know about Jesus. It's, it's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. I, I, I don't... You know, I, I ain't going to worry about it. And people say, well, you're a believer and you went to Sturgis? Got me a cool t-shirt. All right? Well, it's time my son lived in Gillette. What the heck? And I did get a deal on some S&S Motors. Don't kid yourself. But anyway... <laughs> These are things, you know what, there's there's places where I can step right in the middle of it, okay? And, you know, I went down to, uh, what's the college in Gunnison? Western State. I went down there, and I thought I was going to teach this Bible study to a Christian group that was on campus. And all of a sudden, I ended up in a debate in one of the big auditoriums with two scientists and me on evolution and creation. And I, <laughs> I felt like I'd been set up. Okay. But when I found out what was going on, I thank God for it. Because you know what? He threw me right in the middle of paganism and says, bring it. Okay. And they thought they were going to have some goofy Bible thumper. I went in there with science. Science disproves evolution. How can it be? Well, you're the ones who come up with all the scientific laws. I didn't. You planned it. There, look. And all I had to deal with was, was a protein molecule and second law of thermodynamics. So both of them out there, they did completely disqualify evolution. And they had to agree. But see, they thought I was going to come up, well, well you know, is this a thousand years or a years is a thousand? You know, is a, is a yama a day or a day? Well, it says sunrise and sunset. And I'm thinking that's one day. <laughs> you know. Unless it was metric sunrise and sunsets, I don't know. But do you see what I'm trying to get at? There are times you're in the world, but let your godly character and your separatedness unto the things of Christ be more important and keep your limits. You have limits. We all have limits. I'm not going to do something to cause a younger brother to stumble. Okay? And you've got to watch it. Because you never know when you're going to run into one. It's like the guy who got mad at me because I was coming out of a liquor store. Now, if he'd have been smart, he'd have said, what are you coming out of that liquor store for? <laughs> $500. <laughs> I robbed it. no. <laughs> Ain't that what liquor stores are for, robbing them? But he got mad. Why? Because his conscience was such that how could Terry, the pastor, be coming out of a liquor store? That hung a bunch of lights in there. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Hard to hang if you're not in it. But see what I'm trying to get at? We, We get at times that you want to push that limit. Don't do it. Don't do it. Okay? Jesus was a friend of sinners. Remember, he clothed himself in the form of a man. Humbled himself so that he could take on our form. To walk among us. Holy God. Walking in this place. For you and I. He came right in the middle of us. If we are supposed to leave. And not be associated with unbelievers. Why are you still here after you've been saved? To be about my father's work. To save that which was lost. Let's pray. Father thank you for your word. Thank you for my brother Paul. And Lord I just pray that. We do not allow our freedom in Christ. To sway us into places that we shouldn't be. Father let us understand that we have younger brothers and sisters all around us. Who may not have knowledge. And yet father. Father perhaps you bring them into our lives that we can put them on our shoulders and carry them until they can stand on their own. Father, perhaps we're here to strengthen the faint-hearted. Father, perhaps we're just here to be an encouragement to the pastors, the teachers. Father, perhaps we're just here to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Father, let your holiness, let your character, let your nature shine through each one of us These clay pots, knowing that the precious treasure is the person of Jesus Christ in our soul. To you and you alone, Father, in Christ's name, amen.